From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 128. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, Blue Apron, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, this is episode 128. So, shout out to the original Mac, which had 128K. Congratulations, Macintosh. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, let's go straight from the Mac 128 into iPad follow-up. <laughs> sure. Why not? We got a ton of iPad follow-up. As was foreseen, I think. But I will say that on the whole, the follow-up was very considered and thoughtful, and uh, I was very happy with it. Like, it was it was all good. There was a lot of really interesting thoughts that came from people. There wasn't really any of anybody saying to me, you're crazy. Like, I, th- I think that people took in the argument that I was putting out. Um, so I've got some snippets that I would like to go through, some interesting tidbits and some stuff that I hadn't considered because I didn't really know about. So I think we'll start off, though, uh, with as is the something that happens quite frequently on Upgrade. We record something, we have a really good conversation, and then it sparks some thoughts for you to write a little article. And you did. You wrote an article about the reasons to be optimistic about the iPad for Macworld in your column yep. for Macworld. And there was just a part that I wanted to, to pull out of that because I... I think that it, it was an um, an area we didn't really spend too much time on last week. And so you say, to create the future computing device that we believe that the iPad could be, iOS needs better peripheral support, more sophisticated windowing on multitasking, improvements to file handling, better support for application and system automation, and a whole lot more. And uh, I, I think that this is well put. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of caveats to this, like, um, my feeling on windowing is not windows like you see on the Mac. Um, my, my feeling is new ways of doing windows, like how picture yeah. in picture is a window, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I was actually thinking, I had a moment, I, one of these days I'm going to write about it. I had a moment where I was thinking about a tabbed interface for, um, for apps where you could put different apps and different windows from apps in tabs, mm-hmm. uh, or, and uh or or a split or split sets of tabs and things like that that are not you know arbitrarily positioned windows on a screen maybe like we have now but uh are are something more than that the the right i mean two i two purposes in writing this part one is this idea that um the you know this is what we're talking about about everybody kind of arguing slightly different things mm-hmm. i wanted this to be the acknowledgement that ios is not all the way there, right? Because some of the arguments are like, come on, you can't, you, you know, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. And it's like, yes, it doesn't have those things. And and so I wanted to say, it needs a lot more work for it to get to this in the article. It's sort of like, what's that future? Imagine a device in the future, you know, an awesome mobile uh, productivity device in 2025 with a big screen. What does that look like? Um, and it's like, well, you know, that's not that far away when you think about it. And how many iOS versions, if Apple's going to skip iPad features, every other iOS version and be very slow to add them, it's not going to get there. Right. So that I, I wanted to kind of use it as a, as a little uh, stick to poke at Apple and say, you know, if you, if you really believe the iPad to be this thing, you have to invest in it to get it there. Cause there's a lot of work that Apple still needs to do. Yep. It's we, we do work on it now. Right. But, but, um, even those of us who do work on the iPad would not like. It's great that Federico could do what he does, right? But w- even Federico would argue it could be a lot simpler. It could be a lot better, you know. And and the onus isn't just on people like the guys who do workflow to do this, right? It's on Apple to build foundational stuff that makes the act of getting work done on the iPad something that can be done by more people without having to jump through more as many hoops as maybe we have to do now. So that was that was uh, 
that was my point number one. And my point number two was to say about this stuff that the um, the one of my th- thoughts about the iPad in general is uh, being a part of this is screen size, and that you know part what comes with windowing and multitasking and file handling and things like that. One of the things is my belief that ultimately in 2025 we're not going to be using a device that's four inches, five inches, six inches diagonal. I just don't believe it. Like we'll have smartphones and they're the winners of all of this, right? There's no doubt about that. But I have a hard time imagining that people are going to get work done on a little screen like that. So the question is, what do you do when you want to sit down at a a desk or put something in your lap and have it be a big screen that you're doing your computing stuff on? Is that a traditional PC in the year 2025? Or is that something that's sort of like your smartphone, but a lot bigger, which is basically what a tablet is? And, uh, uh, it comes back to this point, which is, you need more stuff if you're going to be that kind of uh, if you're going to be that kind of device. And how does how how what product gets there? How do how does the iPad get there? Because you know computers have a lot of advantages in that regard. They do all of that stuff, although they're very complex. Yeah, um, we carried this conversation onto Connected a little bit last week, and Federico brought up an interesting point in regards to like. Windows and applications and advancements of file systems and that sort of stuff, which I I really thought was interesting and it's tracking some of the way that I'm moving, which is that a lot of this stuff is moving to web apps and to web services. Sure. So there are things that are becoming less and less important. And and I know he's kind of going along the lines of Zapier or Zapier and, and workflow with this sort of stuff, which is routes that I'm starting to go down as well. Like I'm realizing how you know people tend to be productive on the mac by taking advantage of scripts right and i'm finding out that as i'm becoming more demanding of my ios device i'm doing the same thing but using the versions that work on those devices and they are workflow and zapier and it's very interesting like to see me going down that route because i'm tracking with what i see mac users doing but frankly like i can understand how to build workflows and Zapier tasks, I cannot understand how to use shell scripts and to sure. use Apple Script. Like these are things that don't track in my brain, but the others do. And it's just interesting to see me moving down that route a little bit more as well. So mm-hmm. there, there are. I agree. There are definitely things that Apple need to do. I think we all know that this is one of the things. This is this is one of the whole reasons for my argument last week was that right. Apple needs to move iOS, advance iOS, and the reason they should do that is because there's so many iPads. Yeah, I th- I think we both might even agree that the the iPad's biggest uh, hindrance to growth and success as a productivity device is not the market being cool on it, especially since a lot of the feedback we got was from people who work on iPads and you know Apple talks a lot about their their iPad enterprise deployments and things like that. But uh, I but the the hindrance is Apple's software commitment yes, to definitely. iPad mm-hmm. features because the hardware is great and there's a lot of opportunity for users, but. The, the iOS on an iPad is not good enough. I mean, it's good enough, but it could be much, much better t- in order to reach a much broader user base. So regarding this idea, Roman wrote in to ask if we think that Apple should fork iOS and create a beefed up version, a more professional version of iOS for the iPad. And this is something I've seen many people argue, like th- there being an iPad OS and what that would look like. And I don't want that to happen. Um, I-, I think that... A lot of what the iPad benefits from is that it is a a shared operating system with the iPhone, and and I think they both benefit from each other for that. What I want to see is just more device-specific features like 
split screen multitasking, right? You can only do that on the iPad. And I want to see just extra things continue to be added for iOS for the iPad to take advantage of rather than Apple to kind of spin out iOS and create a new version for iPad. I, I don't think that is a a good idea. I mean, I'm sure that with the way that these things are developed, it's kind of made that way, right? There is a version of iOS that goes onto the iPad, but it isn't positioned as such. It isn't marketed as such. Um, I don't want to see that happen. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, there's I mean, there's a version of iOS for every single device. I think mm-hmm. the way most of it works is that it's all just device specific. If I've got a yep. screen of this size, then this behavior is available. And I agree with you. I think I think the great advantage the iPad has is that it is running the same OS as the iPhone. And uh, that makes every iPhone user basically a potential user of the iPad because they're comfortable with the concept. It means that every, you know, it means they can take advantage of app development and all of that. So I, I, yeah, I think that's, this is the way forward for the iPad is that, um, and if the, if these rumors that we've heard from time to time are, are accurate, that what Apple's going to try to do is unsync iPad changes from iPhone changes and do iOS releases in waves where there's a big iPhone release in the fall it's iOS, you know, 10. And then in the spring, there's a big iOS release that's 10 point something. And that's got the iPad features in it because, you know, that's that, that was the spring focus. Then great, right? Like great. That is that is what the iPad needs because I think the iPad needs features that take advantage of the screen. Although I will say a lot of the features that I complained about, those are also there, there are people doing lots of work on their phones, whether it's the, the, the big one, hashtag Mike was right, or whether it's the smaller one mm-hmm. that is actually the one I like. Um, I was going to be more insulting there, and I, I, I'm going to let it go. Um, those, it's, it, it's like, it's not like, it's not like I don't need better file handling on my iPhone when suddenly I've got a file I need to get from one place to another, from out of a Dropbox into an app, or out of an app into the Dropbox, or, or however I want to do it. It's not like my iPhone couldn't use those features too. A lot of these features are not screen size dependent. They're, you know, system automation like workflow works on the iPhone. I don't use it on the iPhone nearly as much as I do on the iPad, but it benefits both. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe windowing and multi- and multitasking is a place where if you've got a 27-inch iPad, let's say, that's like an iMac but it's on your desk, that maybe there your apps are broken out as windows, essentially as tiles that you can float around on the mm-hmm. screen because it's so huge that you need to use the space for that. But um, you know, an iPhone would never do that. So sure, there are some, but you know, a lot of this just these are benefits that roll up to everybody because there are people all over the world using their iPhones, maybe not as their primary work device, although some of them are, but as a work productivity device, and it makes the iPhone better too. Yeah, I mean, there are many things, there are many features that the iPad benefits from because they're made for the iPhone. And I think it would be nice if there was some more that went the other way as well. You know, the iPhone benefits from some features that are primarily made for the iPad, and that would be like better file management and stuff like that. Uh, Many people pointed out that iPads are cheaper than Macs, and that is a potential reason for the sales numbers to be the way that they are. And I I agree with this. This is 100% a reason that many people would buy an iPad over a Mac for having a device at home. But that wasn't, my point wasn't really last week the iPad is best because it has more units. Like that wasn't really the point that I was trying to make. It wasn't about like why people spend their money the way that they do, but more because they have, what should that mean? 
right? Like people buy iPads because they want to get a computer and it's the cheapest computer that they can buy that Apple makes. Okay, that's a thing that has happened. And they don't necessarily do it because they love iOS. But my point is because people have made those purchasing decisions and there are that many iPads out in the world, that's why the focus, I believe, should be heavily on the iPad as a as a thing. And as you so succinctly pointed out last week, which I really loved, the iPad is Apple's second biggest computer platform. And And although I do understand that there's going to be a change in purchase behavior for a product that has you know that's half the price of mm-hmm. the other product i the problem i have with that is people don't buy bad products people don't buy useless dud products because they're cheaper if the ipad didn't have appeal they wouldn't buy them mm-hmm. and and yes what they're buying is uh you know maybe not the high-end ipads apple would like but the cheaper ipads but i i, I feel like that argument can be taken to an extreme that is that is not realistic because yes, the iPads are cheaper. Although, you know, my iPad pro costs more than the, than the, um, than the MacBook air, <laughs> but in general, they're cheaper. And that was a high and a low, right? They, they yeah. do cross over a little bit right at the top and the bottom. But the larger point is if the iPad were useless or a dud or something like that, it wouldn't sell. And they still sell twice as many, more than twice as many as the Mac. So there's something there that, 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 uh, is lost if you just look at the revenue. I do I do agree with that. We had some anonymous feedback from somebody who works at a company that supports iPads in education at scale. So they have lots of customers with many, many iPads. And they made a great point that there are lots and lots and lots and lots, I think they said huge numbers of iPads in use in education. Yeah. And these will typically be used for long periods of time before they're replaced iPad 2s are pretty much the most common iPad in use in education right now, with the iPad 4th gen being in the second place. I know the iPad 2 sounds sounds old, but I believe Apple was still selling iPad 2s like two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so. And, and five years ago, it was a perfectly fine machine. Um, the typical turnover rate in education is about five years. So... These devices, these iPad 2s, they're ready to be replaced. But an issue that schools are having right now is that they don't want or need the Pro devices. Right. Um, And that these are more expensive and it's not what they're looking for. Like the features that the iPad Pro, the 9.7-inch iPad Pro has that make it a Pro device, make it a more expensive device, is not necessarily what schools are looking for. And that an Air 3 could help sales again, at least for the education sector. There may be, if Apple either bump down the current Pro into that market or, or revamp the Air 2 into make it an Air 3, so it's you know kind of in line with that 499 that it used to be, um, this may push a lot more sales into education, which could be significant. So that's an interesting tidbit that I had not really considered. Yeah, my son's uh, school, they have iPad Air 1s, mm-hmm. I believe. But they started their program last year. There you go. Well, there you go, right? They started it last uh-huh. year, and, they, and that's the devices that they were going for. Yep. John wrote in to say that for him, iOS had not been a viable option for a long time, as his company had a bring-your-own-device program at work in which you would log in via Citrix to access your work machine. This is exactly how I used to log in when I was at the bank. Um, all of our terminals, there wasn't actually anything on them. Every machine that was physically in the company has nothing on them. You logged in, right, via Citrix always into a virtual terminal. Many security reasons for why something like this will be done. 
Um, and when I was at home, I used to log in on my MacBook Pro and it was perfectly fine to do. And you had all the authentication stuff that you needed and passwords and those little dongles and all that stuff. Citrix is on the iPad um, and has been there for a while, but trying to use your finger in place of a mouse pointer is a nightmare because you're typically you know, using Citrix onto a Windows environment. So as John pointed out, you know, there are many people who have been forced into buying desktop or laptop machines because it was the only thing they could do to fulfill this need to, to log into their work machine. However, John told me about something that I did not know existed and I think is incredible. In 2015, Citrix released something called the X1 mouse, which allows you to use a mouse of an iPad that is running either Citrix desktop or like the Citrix applications or go to my PC. So it is a you connect it via Bluetooth and yep. it moves the mouse in the virtual environment with your iPad. It's amazing. Like <laughs> and and John has said like he now basically can move to an iPad Pro and it's like a 13-inch laptop and then when he's not using that he can use it like an iPad. And this has been a this is a massive opportunity for large corporations to move towards the iPad because they have a they have a way to allow people to use their Windows environments. And also to take benefit of all of the great things that iPads can do. I had no idea this thing existed. Naturally, the Citrix page for this is horrific. Right? There's barely any product pages. It's just support pages to find out anything about it. Because it's like an enterprise thing. So it's like, whatever, people yeah. are buying it. Um, and I wanted to see if I could try and get one of these. Not easy to get. Like It's not like on Amazon or anything. You have to buy it direct from Citrix. And then I can't really use it of anything because I don't have a server anywhere that I can log into. However, there are videos on it on Citrix's website, and I think this is awesome. Like, just as somebody who worked in this type of environment, this I would have used this, like, for sure. I would have bought one of these and then used my iPad when I was working at home. Yeah. I just think this is an incredible piece of equipment. Well, I, I think, uh, and this is a conversation that we should probably have another time, but I think one of the, the things about the iPad that I heard from some people about was this whole idea of the problem with, when I wrote about the bridge keyboard, right? They're like, yeah, but no trackpad and you got to reach out and all that. And it's like, I don't believe that Apple is going to support like a cursor, an arrow on the screen of your iPad that you no. can move with a trackpad or a mouse. However... You can already 3D touch on the phone or two-finger tap on the keyboard on an iPad and get an iBeam cursor for text editing. And my feeling is as soon as that came into existence, Apple should just build in Bluetooth mouse support for iOS because it's and basically say, look, it's for text editing. It only works in that one context. It doesn't work anywhere else or apps can support it like the Citrix app, and just basically say any Bluetooth pointing device will work with iOS, but it'll only work in the context of text editing or specific apps. There's no cursor per se. Um, and it would be, would most people use it? No, but it would have great edge case uses like this. And so why not? I would love to, I would love it if the makers of uh, Bluetooth and, and smart connector keyboard shell things could include a trackpad just for text editing. I would love that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know about... I mean, I can see that. It's just not a use case that I have too much. Well, yeah, I know. It, it's not It's not your thing, but my argument is basically if I can put two fingers down on my, on my keyboard to move a cursor around on screen and edit text, emulating a trackpad, at that point, you might as well just let me use the magic trackpad if I'm sitting somewhere at a table, right? Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not let me do that? 
I was yeah okay. I, I just think that this is a this is something that's interesting, right? And obviously, yeah. Apple is, weird. is pushing into the yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> Apple is pushing into corporate IT, right? Like IBM and all that stuff, and they're really pushing iPads into that. Yeah. And this will be a product that can help big companies move to a more iPad environment. Right. What if, what if what if Citrix didn't need to make its own mouse, right? Yeah. yeah. What if what if anybody who is doing a terminal virtual terminal like this and this also goes for like your various uh VNC clients and things like screens where you could say, well, you know, if you're in screens, now you're driving a Mac from your iPad, if you've got a Bluetooth pointing device connected, uh, it'll move the pointing device on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like that's not again not a super mainstream use case, but it would help out a lot of people, especially in uh, work environments, you know, business and enterprise. And in some hopeful good news, we received some anonymous feedback from somebody who works at an Apple authorized reseller, um, and they told us that they have not been able to order any new iPads for about two months. So the stock that they are ordering keeps getting pushed back so it'll be like oh it's going to come on this date that date comes it's like oh it's going to come on this date this reseller is not in the us or europe so they said they tend to see these shortages first even though other places around the world will still have stock of the devices because Uh apple kind of uh they will stock their bigger markets more right so they have stuff in the us they have stuff in europe but it's a sign of the channel potentially draining yeah which they said tends to mean New device, new hardware. So I hope that that means that. And yeah. that there's going to be new iPads soon. I wonder if this is connected to something Tim Cook said on the on the call a couple of weeks ago when he talked about how they had some issues meeting demand for some iPads. And, um, you know, there's speculation that that meant that they were iPad models. Maybe it's the Air 2. Maybe it's the Air. That they... Um, that they just assumed people would buy the the pro and and people instead really did want the lower cost devices and they didn't make enough of them and i i saw this note and i thought or the other possibility is that they have they have stopped making the air 1 entirely or maybe even the air 2 entirely but they've stopped making some of those older models now and are re uh positioning the production line and are making new models and so you know they got they got stuck. Is it possible that they got stuck not being able to fulfill demand because they were already kind of like moving along to the next model? I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's interesting to get that hint that perhaps this is... I mean, it could be some weird quirk, but it could also be a, a really early sign that there is, uh, there's new iPad hardware coming. We can only hope, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's got to be, right? Sometime, hopefully soon. Yeah, like eventually <laughs> there will have to be. There will always be. Yeah. All right, so the last piece, last thing I want to mention, um, obviously, as we mentioned ATP on our last episode, they took all of our stuff, and it's in the current episode of ATP, episode uh, 208. Yeah. So Somebody uh, referred to this as like a comic book crossover event yep. where you have to read the issues of all the different comic books to know what the story is. Mm-hmm. So because yeah. of this, as this conversation just keeps going from show to show... And everybody's saying, hey, Mike, Marco, get a room, right? So we are going to, uh, later on this week, me and Marco are going to go head-to-head. I don't even know what exactly we're going to address, but I think maybe we're just going to shout at each other or past each other. We're not sure yet. 
Um, it will probably be a Relay FM B-side. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go subscribe there. But if you follow me on Twitter, I'll tweet about it when it goes up. So we're going to record just a little special something, uh, which will basically, uh, I think Marco referred to it as uh, top two computing platforms. <laughs> uh, I will be bringing iOS and he will be bringing macOS. And we're just going to talk it out and maybe, possibly, try and put this thing to bed. Um, and of course, uh, we'll t- I'll talk about it next week. I'll put a link in the show notes for next week's episodes where you'll be able to go and find that. So we're just going to bring this together and uh, finally try and get some closure on this de- deal. But we'll see what happens. Maybe I can switch him to iOS. What do you think? Nope. No? You don't think it's going to happen? Well, I mean, he's uh, th- th- one of the things that made me laugh about it is, is you know, iOS developers cannot switch to iOS. So it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I wonder about that. I wonder about that. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Maybe you're the type of person who works online. Maybe you're a freelancer. If you are, then you are going to be well aware of some of the struggles that it takes just on a daily basis to get your project wrapped up because you've got to prepare for that meeting or call you have later on in the afternoon, tackling a mountain of paperwork especially this time of the year as we're approaching tax time it can be horrific to have to deal with all the mess this life is very challenging so our friends at FreshBooks have created some software that they think will help and i will tell you as i am getting ready to send my 900th invoice with FreshBooks, probably next week it has made my life a lot easier over the last couple of years as we have built this business because they have all of the tools that we need and I'm sure you're going to need to just make sure that your invoicing and all of your accounting is taken care of. The growth of the internet has meant that there are so many opportunities that there were never before and our invoicing software kind of has to reflect that. So FreshBooks redesigned everything from the ground up to work exactly the way that people do who are online. You'll be able to be more productive, get organized while also being paid quickly. It's super easy to use, packed full of features. You can log in and get some invoices sent out in just 30 seconds. Everything's saved in there, right? So you're able to pull up previous entries really easily and get everything pre-filled in. Um, you can see when people have looked at your invoices. You can see when they've printed your invoices. So you can be like, oh, okay, it's in the finance queue now, which is a really useful thing. So you don't have to send chases because you know people are looking at it. FreshBooks has an all-new notification system as well. So every time you log in, you're going to see what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. So you have this little assistant pops up and says, hey, these three are outstanding, and this person took to your invoice. Maybe you need to deal with this. All of these new features are coupled with a beautiful redesign, focusing on simplicity and clarity. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter upgrade in the how did you hear about section so they know that you came to them from this very show thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of upgrade and relay fm so we didn't get any time to talk about this hybrid mac between the arm and intel chips this is something that mark german spoke about a couple of weeks ago can you give a, a refresh yeah, we we bumped this story last week because we talked for so long that uh, we didn't we were done, and so we are going to talk about it a little late. Mark uh, German wrote a story at Bloomberg where he works about uh, Apple developing a new Mac that involves ARM, but not in the way that sort of the conventional wisdom had described it, which is Macs running ARM like 
ARM processor, an A-series processor like in the iPhone or the iPad with a version of Mac OS on it that is compiled for ARM, uses the ARM instruction set instead of the Intel instruction set and runs on that. That's not what he reported. What he ended up reporting, although the initial headline basically suggested that and then they had to change the headline because I think the person who wrote the headline kind of didn't understand or read the article, which is bad, uh, but they fixed it. And it's interesting, though, because this is the and the way I refer to it is it's the coming of the hybrid Mac. It's the idea that, it, in fact, the hybrid Mac is already here in a way because the touch bar, right? The touch bar on the MacBook Pro is running a version of watchOS, a, you know, a version of a version of iOS <laughs> a couple of levels down. And it's got uh, so it's got the what the the touch bar, touch ID and the webcam are all running through there. And the rest of it's an Intel Mac, right? But they, it, it talks, you know, those two parts of the system talk to each other. And German's report suggests that that's actually the big clue about where Apple is taking the Mac in the future, which is not just compiling Mac OS for ARM, but instead moving functionality to ARM or adding functionality on more capable ARM processors that run side by side with the Intel processor. So it's a really interesting idea that you would have an Apple design chip that would be running alongside the Intel chip to do who knows what he suggests. He suggests um, some sleep based functions where, you know, in laptops, there's this power nap feature where um, it makes basically power nap is a feature that was introduced a few years ago that makes your Mac behave more like an iPad or iPhone in the sense that when you've got it closed, when you've got it asleep, it can still be like doing work in the background. Because your iPhone and iPad do that, right? When your iPad is is locked or your iPhone is locked, it's not like they aren't able to check your email and stuff so that it's there when you, or receive push notifications, right? But it used to be that uh, Macs, when they were asleep, they were dead, right? They didn't do anything. And and with uh, with these features, they've been able to do that. So German's report is, well, what if those got offloaded instead to this ARM chip? They would be much more power efficient, and that and, and that's almost like a beachhead of like what what features can we uh, transfer either while they're in use or while your computer is asleep? Um, and the net result, I think, is interesting because what other computer like this makes Apple capable of making a computer that's unlike any other computer out there in terms of features um, because they get to use Intel like it's a stock Intel PC but add this Apple chip that makes it you know different from any Intel PC because no other Intel PC has the ability to run this arm hybrid thing and that's so that's that's the idea so as as uh, Goman pointed out, like it's running the stuff that we see in your new MacBook Pro, right? Like we see that already, like the Touch Bar, the Touch ID, and apparently the camera as well, right? They're they're powered by this chip, which is called the T1. Outside of PowerNap, what other things could conceivably be run by a second chip in this? Like because I mean, when I first saw this article, I was like, oh, this seems exciting. PowerNap wasn't that exciting to me. Yeah, like, PowerNap. You know, it's, it's very low level, yeah. and and okay, it may get better battery life, which is awesome. Well, that's and, and that's that's it, right? Is is it's not yay PowerNap ARM, right? It the answer would be what if your battery lasts that much longer? Mm-hmm. You know, what if your computer is able to while you're sitting there, like just go to sleep, and it looks like it's still running, but it's asleep, and. 
you know, there, there are there are uh, uh, potential uses here that are more like it, it allows them to eke out much better battery life. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, th- this is the real question is what else can go into this? Um, I had a few people say to me, well, one thing you could do is you could run um, you could run iOS apps. Yeah, I thought about that, and I wonder what you thought about that. Because, I mean, it would make it easier to do it, right? Look, I've been a supporter of the idea of running iOS apps on Macs for a long time now, and I know that it would be weird, but I think the idea is, um, you know, is it any weirder than Dashboard? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. Dashboard was was essentially a separate platform of apps. They were web apps, JavaScript apps, but they that was a separate platform and they ran in a separate layer, although there were weird ways you could get it to appear in the one layer. And so, you know, could could you not do that? I'm not sure Apple likes that from a, a bunch of strategy levels, but it's something that you could do. Um, it could be for developers that they have the ability to run ARM code instead of compiling for Intel and running it there. Um, I don't know. And and the, the real question is, what else could you offload there for security reasons and for performance reasons? Could there be other other stuff that runs, you know, if the ARM chip is available, that it runs on the ARM chip and and then other stuff runs on the Intel chip? It's like an extra extra uh, set of, of, of items. I don't know. Right. But, um, but I'm intrigued by the idea that it's at a fairly low level that, yeah. that this isn't necessarily like, Oh, well you have two processors and sometimes you're in arm mode and sometimes you're in Intel mode that it's more like at a very base level in the system, certain devices can take advantage of this chip being there in order to be much more efficient in some way. And as a result, Apple's laptops are more impressive than they would have been otherwise and more different you know different from the competition because i assume it would be pretty difficult to run the code kind of on you know switching between one or the other like you'd have to the code for whatever's going to be written going to run on arm would have to be rewritten for arm right because i'm sure that if you were doing emulation you'd only burn through any battery savings or efficiencies you're going to be keeping yeah it's 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 a weird it's a weird story and it may be that this is um, as David Schaub in the chat room points out, not that much in the way of news because, you know, everything that's embedded, including dongles, <laughs> have ARM chips in them. And that this is a, a, a detail that German got that has potentially been blown out of proportion. That the, you know, but the idea here, is it news, for example, to say, well, you know that ARM chip that runs the touch bar? Well, the next generation MacBook Pro, will it'll do a little bit more. I mean, that, that may not be a big deal. That may just be like, well, yeah, of course, if you've got, I, I would imagine that Apple's designers are, are saying, and their engineers are saying, once we've got an ARM processor, we can make that whatever we want. We're experts at that. Once we've got it inside a MacBook Pro, what could we do? What yeah. could we do that, that nobody's thought about because they've only been using the Intel chip? And now we've got an Intel PC that also has this potentially as powerful as we want it to be arm processor running a different operating system if we want uh with you know security features and all sorts of things like that what would that be i i don't you know i don't know and it may not be that big a deal in the end it may just be they'll quote better battery life or it'll be a big deal for developers because they'll need to write some arm extensions for their apps in order for them to be the most awesome on macbook pro but nobody else cares i i don't that part i don't know but i the back of my mind, the thing that gets me about this is that this, I wonder if this is a- Apple's take on what the future of the Mac is, 
which is to not to say we have so much prowess in making uh, mobile devices and building ARM processors and doing touchscreen interfaces that we're going to just keep pushing the Mac until it's an iPad, right? It's not that. It, instead, it's saying, let's take, as they've been doing the last few years, let's take everything we learned from the iPad and the iPhone and use that to give our computers, our Macs, advantages that they wouldn't otherwise have because yeah. we spend so much time on, on on this right down in this case right down to the hardware right down to the existence of another parallel operating system that they can be- embed in an input device in a computer right mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that is why i think this is interesting because that is apple that seems to be apple's playbook with the mac and it gets the mac to an interesting place because like i said it makes the mac unique in that it's not you know, it, it, it's not a an Intel PC anymore. It's an Intel plus Apple custom PC that is different in some ways. Now, can that differentiation be enough? Is that enough to make any difference? I, uh, the, who knows? Who knows if anybody actually cares or if it's a distinction without a difference? But it feels right to me. That that is that that feels consistent with Apple's approach with the Mac over the last few years. That they would take it to this level, where it's like we're not going to undo what the Mac is, but we're going to use all of the stuff that we learned from the iPhone and the iPad and pour it into the Mac, so that the Mac becomes more than it is now, not like less and you know more like an iPad. So let's let's play this out in the route that the article on Bloomberg seems to suggest that this is, or hint at that this is like. Apple is working on the underpinnings of macOS and starting to move a lot of that to ARM, right, to make it more efficient. If that is the case, and they are starting with stuff like low-level stuff like PowerNap, and you know they're going to continue to move through until they're able to to run a lot of code on on ARM to make it more and more efficient, and over time they move more and more and more and more over to ARM chips. What is the end game? Here, like, do you think that this is the beginning of a move towards a, 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 a Mac that runs entirely on ARM processors, or is it unlikely that in the the future of the Mac existing, you know, like imagine it's twenty years from now, right, until the, the the Mac is is replaced, or thirty or fifty years even. Let's let's keep pushing this out. I'm not saying that it's, <laughs> it's happening. A, please, a thousand years. Please, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just this is a theoretical argument on an infinite time scale. Yeah, would there be advancements in ARM technology to eclipse from a power perspective what Intel is able to do at the same rate? Because that's the issue right now, yeah. right? Is that Intel chips are far more powerful than ARM chips? Yeah, it's um, this is the this is the question. I, I know, I think a lot of these arguments get mixed up. Um, and and you heard it too. The most recent ATP, they talked a little bit about this other thing that was posted on like Reddit or something that was or Slashdot that was somebody saying, "Oh, I've seen ARM Max at Apple, and they're." Uh, prototypes and they're totally locked down and it's app store only and they there's no terminal and they're like iPads except they're Macs. And and there's just a lot of stuff being conflated here, which is one that ARM Macs would be uh, th- there's ARM in a Mac is not the same as ARM Macs. And another one is that an ARM Mac would be an iPad, you know, would be totally locked down and they would change mm-hmm. all of the security model that they built up over the last few years, like gatekeeper and signed apps and things like that. Uh, which I think are totally separate issues. Could be, but the existence of an ARM Mac does not force that to happen. Uh, So there's there's all of that. Um, I think 
in this case, the two parallel tracks are uh, Intel Plus, ARM, and ARM. <laughs> and I'm sure that Apple is, you know, compiling macOS for ARM and running computers, running ARM chips in their labs, just as they ran Intel for years as a hedge against the failure of PowerPC, which is kind of what happened. PowerPC let them down. Intel was blowing PowerPC's socks off and they made a switch. So I, I'm sure they're doing it now. And I'm sure there are conversations inside Apple that are very much, um, what kind of ARM chip could we build for a Mac? And what what would that get us? And then there are also conversations about, would we be willing to have different, chips on different devices in the Mac line, you know, in other words, you know, your laptops are ARM and your desktops aren't, or your MacBook is ARM, but the rest of them aren't. Um, I'm sure they're having all those conversations, right? I feel like in parallel, there's this other track and may, or, or the outcome of that conversation was, nah, you know, we're just not there. Our, uh, you know, we don't want to try and compete with Intel at the high end. It's easier to just let Intel build those chips. Let's focus on making our iPhone and iPad chips the best we can, and and let's not worry about it. But let's take, you know, let's take this other hybrid approach. So it may be that they're connected in that way. It may not be uh, that that it's more like the time is not right. Maybe the time will be right later, but it's not right yet. But in the meantime, let's not be so focused on it's either ARM or Intel that we miss an opportunity to roll all of our ARM knowledge into the Mac while keeping the Intel processor there and basically saying, hey, Intel, your chips are great. We're going to keep using your chips, but we're going to do some other stuff too because that makes our computers better. I think that's where Apple is today. That's my gut feeling. Or, you know, it's a little like physics uh you know it's what we see today at apple seems to be that that's their that's their point of view it's possible that behind the scenes they totally change their point of view and we won't know for a year or two when those hardware decisions end up happening because remember there's always kind of a delay but based on today's evidence that's what i would say is that the um Apple is is keeping ARM around as a possibility if Intel lets them down like PowerPC did. And if they feel like the Apple chips are going to beat Intel, they're going to make the Mac better. So why are we bothering with Intel? But uh, but Intel's a pretty sweet deal. I mean, they just Intel does all the work <laughs> and Apple buys the chips. And Apple doesn't have to invest their chip uh, designers in any part of that process because somebody else is doing it. And that's that's pretty sweet. So uh, the hybrid Mac, I think, is a is a sweeter deal. So that's my my gut feeling is that this is not a step toward a uh, an all arm Mac necessarily. Um, they may yet go there, but that this is more like this other path of what can we do to make Intel. It really is like Intel Plus. It's Intel's processor, and we know how to do that. And then we add features on with our processor and our operating system that is running on that processor, even if it's not technically macOS at that point. And that's what they're, that seems to be what they're doing. So, so I don't think this is proof that eventually there'll be ARM Macs, like pure ARM Macs, no Intel, um, because I think it's on a different track. It might still happen, but I don't think this is going to be the reason it happens, if that makes sense. It would surprise me if the Mac was able to go through a transition from Intel to ARM as successfully as it went from PowerPC to Intel, I, yeah. I, I would be surprised. 
if if that happened. Um, it just seems like it would be a lot to ask of of the community. Well, that's that's. I mean, I hate to say it, but um, the number one reason I said this. Um, I don't hate to say it that much. I said it on this podcast. And I said it in that MacWorld article I wrote about it too. But I think the number one argument against Apple doing doing a chip transition, a, a full on chip transition for the Mac, is that it's a lot of work. And um, does Apple want to do that work? Does Apple want to put developers through that work? Doesn't Apple? I still believe Apple sees the power of the Mac being it that it is. 30 years old and it has an installed base yep. and people like the Mac and they like what the Mac is. This is its benefit as a platform. Yeah, yeah. So undercutting it by making it less stable and weird yep. and new at a point when people could just go to Windows or go to iPad, go to iOS, mm-hmm. but just go away from the Mac to make a weird Mac, even if it wasn't limited in all the ways that that one rumor slash speculation post was, uh, even if it was just a Mac on ARM, going through a chip transition, it's like, it's a lot of work. It's not that they couldn't do it, but would they do it? And my feeling is they wouldn't. My feeling is that Apple has decided the way forward for the Mac is not uh, to to spend effort on that. It's instead to spend effort on these kind of hybrid, sprinkling in hybrid features yeah. that push the Mac to be... I mean, in some ways, it's sort of like Apple is, Apple is setting expectations with iOS, Um Right, like iOS devices. This goes back to PowerNap, actually. iOS devices uh, don't behave like computers, and they create expectations in users for how a device behaves. And then the computers don't behave like that. And the users, who might have been perfectly fine before, are now like, why doesn't it do this, right? Why is my email not there when I open my computer? It's there when I open my iPad. the answer is, well, it was asleep and it doesn't work like that. And it's like, that's not a good answer. So maybe, you know, that's Apple's tack with the Mac at this point is, what do we need to do to keep advancing the Mac? So it's the Mac, but without, uh, but fulfilling the expectations that our mobile devices have created for that platform that it wasn't designed to um, to fulfill. Yeah, I, I think it could be interesting to think about like what are the things that Apple can do that are new or to change the Mac in some way by moving things to ARM, right? So like when they bring out the next MacBook Pro, it won't matter so much that it's running the same Intel chips because it can do all these things that it couldn't do before or can get all these performance increases it couldn't do before because they're enhancing what the ARM chips can do. You know, and then that could right. be a way to continue making the Mac appealing even when Intel's missing their timeframes, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, that's 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 exactly it. Like how Intel's Intel's chips are going to come when they're going to come, and everybody mm-hmm. in the PC market's going to get them. Uh, and Apple will decide whether it's going to turn over its its devices then or not. But uh, but that's Apple's decision to make because the chips are going to come. So what what can you control? And the answer is you can you can add all of these other features that nobody else gets to add because they don't have. You know, they don't short short of Microsoft doing what they actually did at one point and it didn't go anywhere. But the idea of, um, you know, short of Microsoft saying, well, we've added this whole other spec now, which is this uh, mobile OS inside. And you can and here's a here's a chip, a low power chip from Intel or Qualcomm that you can put in and short of a platform wide uh, reaction from Microsoft on Windows for this, Apple will be able to differentiate in this way, and and that that's good. That's good because uh, you know otherwise they're just being compared to um, a Dell or Lenovo laptop, and 
they uh, and, and if Apple's a, a step or two behind on the Intel generations, the comparisons are difficult, right? But they're they're less difficult if you've got something that is a differentiator that is entirely designed by Apple. Last thing I'll ask about this, because my, my initial thought on this was thinking about corporate land and wondering if something like this would upset Intel and could potentially lead to problems between Intel and Apple. You know, like Intel, I'm sure, would prefer to sell Apple their versions of these chips because Intel try and they make they make small chips, right? Like, I don't know if they're ARM specifically. I don't right, know enough make, about this they stuff. Make mo- they make mobile their own mobile processors, yeah. So I wonder if something like this could upset Intel and could cause problems in the Apple Intel relationship because Apple will like you know because they will be touting like we have these amazing chips that can do things that no other chip can do, and our computers still run Intel, but we need to add this other stuff because the Intel chips are rubbish. Could be. I just wonder about that, right? Like, I wonder mm-hmm. if that could if that could cause stickiness between the relationship, and or if anybody would really care, you know? Because but at least it seems that in, Apple is a relatively, in, in regards to the rest of the market, small customer. But like for mm-hmm. Intel, like they're a big customer, but there's something like ten percent or something of the chips that they sell. I think it said in the in the Bloomberg article, and I just wonder if that this type of thing could could rock the boat in any direction could it make intel step up or could it cause problems between intel and apple i don't know yeah i don't know i i I think from intel's perspective if intel feels like it's doing a good job at fulfilling the pc market that apple will be a fairly satisfied customer right intel's kind of competing with apple on chip design internally at apple but the rest of the market it's like it seems unlikely that Lenovo is going to be like tapping their watch and being like, come mm-hmm. on Intel. Right. It seems unlikely. It's possible. Um, so I like, I feel like Intel can just sort of stick to what it knows and uh, try to do its best. And then Apple will, will just have to make a decision. Like these guys are messing this up. We could just do this now or not. Like Intel doesn't seem as, as invulnerable as it used to. There was a time even like three or four years ago where people looked at Intel and were like, nobody is going to catch Intel. Intel's, chip making ability is so far ahead of everyone else that they have this huge advantage and i feel like you know it's it, it, intel's still the leader there but people don't feel that it's quite as invulnerable as it was and and so you know it may also be that apple's chip designers are like we could do we could totally do it we could totally beat them i can make a high-end imac with an arm chip let's do it let's do it and somebody in apple management's like Hold on, <laughs> like, like just uh, because we can. <laughs> exactly. Well, should. I mean, how much in life is like that, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just because you can do it. I was talking to somebody about um, another project that I work on that uh, the, that everything everything on their website is built uh, custom, and we're talking about doing a, a new version of that website, and and several of us in the tech industry were like, okay, this is, this is the point where you need to take your, your, uh, your own in-house developers and say, yes, I know you can implement your own forum system and like every single bit of architecture for your site. 
just and this happened in Macworld too. Uh, just because you guys are good programmers and you could build it does not mean you should build it, right? There are other things we can do. Where do we use your talent in the way that has the best net benefit? And where can we take something off the shelf? And it's not quite a perfect parallel, but it's not far off of saying Intel's going to hand us processors. That's like taking an open source package and deploying it on your website instead of building uh, something that does the exact same thing, but building it in-house. Like you can build it, but Imagine all that time that you won't spend building it if you can just take this perfectly good thing off the shelf. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not exactly what you would do. Maybe it doesn't fulfill all of your needs, but it's free essentially, right? Because somebody else developed it and all you have to do is license it or buy it. I I, I do think that there's a parallel there. So much of life and work is about saying just because we can do it, maybe we should not. Maybe there's something else we should do instead. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron will deliver to you seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to let you make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone whilst also supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standard of quality for their ingredients whilst building their community of home chefs. Blue Apron's seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and their produce is sourced from farms that practice Generative farming. So you will have that good feeling when you're making a Blue Apron meals that everything's come from a good place. Each Blue Apron meal also comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Now, why is that important? It means that when you're getting ready to cook for the day, you don't have to worry about, oh, no, I forgot to get garlic today, and then someone has to go to the grocery store. and get. You don't need to worry about that because you get everything you need, and you get just the amount that you need, so you're not going to be wasting food as well. This is one of the great things about Blue Apron is that you're going to have everything you want, and then as you're cooking every day or every couple of times a week, you're also going to be learning some skills. Then you also get to keep these recipe cards, and it's super easy to remake the food if you like it, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to like it. You'll be able to choose meals like udon noodle soup with miso and soft boiled eggs, cheddar cheeseburgers with frizzled onions and romaine salad, or maybe vegetable fried rice bowls with cauliflower, gailan, and fried eggs. These are just some of the meals that are currently available over at Blue Apron. You'll be able to choose from a variety of new recipes each week, like any of those or any of the many more, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you and they make their picks for you. And you're also able to kind of tailor your choices and tailor your dietary requirements. It really is very cool. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. There's no weekly commitment. You get deliveries when you want them, and their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash upgrade. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com slash upgrade, and we thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so uh, Tim Cook has been doing the rounds in Europe over the past couple of weeks. He has been popping up 
all over the place. Um, he's been visiting schools, and he got an honorary degree in Glasgow. And yeah, from James Thompson's old uh, yep. stomping grounds, no less. My brother as well. My brother went to the University of Glasgow. I actually have been in the room where Tim was given his honorary degree, where I went to see my brother's graduation. Hmm. Um, and he's been giving lots of quotes about certain topics and one that kind of came a little bit out of left field for me he gave an interview to the telegraph in which he spoke out very harshly against the idea of fake news and what fake news means um and i say it's surprising because it just doesn't necessarily feel like something that apple has too much of a issue with you know i would maybe expect something more like this coming from a company like facebook or twitter Right, as like a, we need to stand against this because they are kind of a place where this news gets spread, um, and Apple maybe not so much. But Tim Cook believes in this very strongly, and the idea of fake news basically being news that is incorrect, or you know through bad reporting, or that is created to be incorrect to spread mistruths um, in whatever side of the political fence that you may be sitting on. So I want to read a couple of quotes from Tim. Uh, he said that he believes this has to be ingrained in schools, it has to be ingrained in the public, there needs to be a massive campaign. We have to think through every demographic. We need the modern version of a public service announcement campaign. It can be done quickly if there is a will. All of us technology companies need to create some tools that help diminish the volume of fake news. The outcome of that is truthful, reliable, non-sensational, deep news outlets will win. Jason, what should Apple's role be? realistically in trying to help stop what fake reporting is occurring which is you know i don't i can't really think of words to say that aren't gonna bring up emotions in people like i think there are two issues here one of the issues is uh let's let's differentiate between like news that is wrong because somebody well-meaning got it wrong and news that is inaccurate because it was made up or it was intentionally false. Two different issues, right? And and one of them has been with us a very long time, and the other one, probably a little bit less. But certainly that's part of the, the debate here is there are, the argument is lots of stuff gets passed around on social media, especially on Facebook, that is from these websites that their whole goal is to inflame people of a particular political viewpoint, Um and it works on both sides of the spectrum here in the U.S. I, I, you know, we've seen examples of both where the goal is, you know, create headlines that reinforce a worldview and they're they're made up, but they reinforce a worldview. And then you get people to share them on Facebook and people come to those sites to view and they get page views and they make money. That's that's the whole purpose of it is is it, it's generally not even intended to be there are there are sites that fabricate things or that speak to reinforce a worldview that are doing it knowingly um, and to make money. And then there are other ones that are doing it, not that they care about the politics of it, but they just want to make the money. And they know that those those clicks are there for the taking. So the the challenge with that is how can any any gateway to news and information sharing doesn't want to be a gatekeeper. And if it does, how does it do that? And how does it differentiate between items that are factually incorrect and items that are opinion? And there's no such thing as a wrong opinion. There just there are such things as wrong facts, but everybody gets to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other words, you can you can have the opinion that 
the earth is flat, but it's not right. And that's, and if you say it is versus I think it is, that's a different quality. I mean, I would say you, your opinion is dumb if you're saying your opinion is a fact doesn't exist, but, uh, but there, people get to have their opinions and that's an extreme example. People get to have political opinions. So one of the ways that, that people are talking about this is like Facebook. Can Facebook say, this is not a trusted news source. This news source has been known to uh, post things that are false and like label things, not censor them in the sense of like, you know, oh, you posted that thing and it went straight down the memory hole. But instead, like, this is a questionable article. You know, in other words, do, is is a uh, an Apple News falls into this too, right? Do you do you have some sort of system that is able to let people flag stories and say, I don't think this is real? which is different from, I don't like this. This makes me feel icky, but it's like, I don't think this is real. I think this is made up. This is provably false. Do you have people who are checking things and flagging sites and individual stories and saying these aren't real? It's a little bit like dealing with spam or something like that. If you flag a site, that site will just maybe go away, but they'll put up a, a duplicate of it at a different name. And then you have to flag that site too. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, an arms race that has to happen there. But I, I personally think that that is one of the jobs of these conduits of information to let their users know that this stuff is junk if it's junk. Um, but you got to be really careful, right? Because the the trick is that what you're trying to do is is let people give people a warning that that source is not credible, but people are going to argue about what credibility is. Like, is Breitbart credible? Um, is Newsmax credible? Is Fox News credible? Like there's a, there's a spectrum of conservative media. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that at the extreme, there are a lot of stories that are posted that are just made up that are entirely fabricated. But somebody might also point to a story here and say, well, they're, you know, that person that they're quoting is lying or is not, you know, is not, uh, it's shading the truth there a little bit. And it's like, well, is that fake? Uh, probably not. That That's that's probably not accurate. There, there's the other dimension too, which is what about a story that's wrong? Like, and people argue about them and there, there are all these definitions of like where we draw the line. So uh, it's it's a really hard problem, but I do think somebody like Facebook needs to, needs to make an attempt to at the very least push the uh push the worst stuff the stuff that is just spam essentially spam guy in the guise of news um and market and say this is not a trusted source um, but i think when in doing that they need to be really broad about what the trusted sources are and that's going to make people angry that their pet uh issue of this other, you know, this news source on the other side of the political spectrum is all fake, uh, and yet isn't marked as fake. And Facebook, like, that's going to happen, but too bad, you know, right? I, I do think that that there's a responsibility there to maybe be helpful without being like without picking a side. And how far do Apple go in this? Is it just Apple News, or is it more? I well, I think I mean. I think at Apple, in terms of being a conduit, it's got to be Apple News. Um, just like that's their thing, right? So if Apple News, uh, if Apple News can work on this, I think the reality is like, wow, this is a tough thing for Apple to bite off on. Uh, in addition to everything else, versus something like um, 
like Facebook. Facebook, you've got the whole social graph. People are pouring things into your feed. You don't know where they came from. Um, I would actually argue that something like Twitter is actually a better example of a service that should probably worry about this. Uh-huh. I think Twitter has other things to worry about than something like Apple News, where it's it's mostly curated and from your own choices, mm-hmm. which is a little bit different. I think where where what Cook was talking about, and this and this backs it up to something that maybe Apple could do, but it's also sort of a call to everybody, which is which is this, what he said, public service announcement campaign. It's like, we need to educate people, especially kids, because that's where most of us get our, most of our education, right? But everybody to be way better consumers of information, to not see that email or that Facebook link and take it on, take it on its face. The, I think older people are actually more, uh, vulnerable here because they remember when there were gatekeepers and so they ascribe a level of credibility to headlines that they see than i think a younger person would because younger people know people can do anything on the internet and is it real or not and and apply some ideally they would apply a lot of skepticism to that because really you can say anything on the internet there's no truth detector right um but older people and I'm not saying like retirees. I'm saying people who are who did not come of age in the internet age and did not get those antibodies like anything on the internet could be fake. And I think most of our our listeners are tech savvy enough that they probably have some of those antibodies, right? Um, but those people, it's a it's a real challenge trying to educate them on um, on this issue. And I don't know if they can be like the idea that you can't trust. There there was that story about um, well I can't remember. It was it was a it was a completely false statement. And there was a woman that they were interviewing on, I think it was like ABC News, and they and and she said this false statement that had come from one of these um, organizations, and I think it was I think it was about the three million um, three million illegal immigrants who voted in the California election or something like that, which is there's no proof of that it didn't happen. Um, and when they asked her where do you why, why do you believe that, she says it was in the media, and I think that's a perfect example of like. Um, somebody who has who who is seeing something that reinforce, reinforces her own personal beliefs and has this added benefit of being in the media and therefore that 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 makes it okay uh, and, and true and you know I think I do think it's a huge problem for society <laughs> that uh, people are being manipulated by very clever internet people, people like us, right? I, I feel like a lot of this is people like us are using the technology we love and the systems we love, like the internet, to troll slash manipulate lots of populations of people who aren't as savvy. And this is not the first time in history that this sort of thing has happened, but it's happening today with our technology and it's our tools and it's the stuff we understand. And I think that may be where Tim Cook is really coming from is we got to, those of us who are tech savvy need to grapple with the fact Mm -hmm. that people who are less savvy are being, um, are being fed bad information. And, and the, the problem with it is they're being fed bad information that they, that they accept because they want to feel good and it reinforces their worldview. And you know what? If you want to feel good, that's fine. Have whatever political views you have. It's fine. But this is the, the road this goes down is this complete distortion where there's literally nothing connecting uh, two sides of any issue because the facts are not agreed upon. You can't argue a point if you can't agree on the facts about the point. 
So Tim is kind of step, stepping up as you know the guy in charge of the biggest company in the world, and he's throwing around so I guess some of the political power that comes with that in yeah. trying to affect some change, which is not the first time that he's done something like this. You know, he he Tim Cook, and it's one of the reasons that you know I've mentioned this in the past, and I still believe it that Apple is a more responsible company under Tim. It's kind of in its mark on the world. It is more responsible, and I think yeah. this is another example of that where if Tim Cook really believes in something then he molds Apple in his image. And uh, I think mostly that is a good thing, I think. So so here's my wacky idea, which will never happen, but I'm going to mention it, which is either a company like Facebook should fund this, like internally, or the tech industry, especially those that have vested interests in information, should fund a Super Snopes, basically. Snopes is the fact-checking website, essentially. Create a nonprofit entity that and fund it tech companies that does nothing but fact check, truth detect, Mm -hmm. spam watch. Make sure that they are overseen so that what they're not doing is picking political winners and losers, but are very much trying to verify information and create a an open system of scoring websites and articles for truthfulness so that the Facebooks and Twitters and Apple Newses of the world can use that information in order to prioritize what floats to the top and to label things. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I feel like that's basically, if Silicon Valley threw some money at this, <laughs> I don't say that lightly because you can't throw money at things usually. It, there are lots of complications, but and there would be complications here. But I feel like that would be a big step here is that nobody is really financially motivated to do this, to, to do truth detection. Like I said, I think maybe Facebook is the only one that is. And even there, we see Facebook's history with this sort of thing, and they kind of don't want to spend money on it. Part of that is uh, that there's some institutional arrogance that their software can figure out this stuff better than paying human beings to do legwork and other journalistic work. Facebook kind of doesn't believe in that. Um, but I don't know. I, I do I do feel like this is not a, 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 it's not a solution without some... Uh, or not a problem without some solutions, but I do feel it's a little like spam email in that it's all about mitigation, making it less terrible, not making it cured. But still, one would actually need to try to make it less terrible. And maybe Apple's going to start that. I hope so. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm skeptical. I feel like this is Tim Cook sort of uh, making a statement of of uh, of belief, but I have a I have a hard. I don't know. It did feel very non-committal. Yeah, right. Like all of us technology companies need to create some tools that help them. Okay, why don't you all get together and and build that organization, build that nonprofit that's funded by tech companies with a huge commitment that's going to hire, you know, a bunch of people, uh, both technical and editorial people, to build uh, verification tools to create a sort of like this is not a fake site. This is not a. This is not a. You know, fake. This is a real story. This is a fake story that's been disproven, so that you can. Have have ubiquitous fact check links that will pop up and say this story is disputed or this story is wrong or this story has been revised but this this news you know this news entity hasn't done the revision i mean there are lots of approaches here but um but you know saying all of our all of us technology companies need to create some tools is great but what then 
This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Encapsula, a multi-function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. All you need to do is make a small change to your DNS to activate Encapsula. You don't need to install any hardware or software. It's ready to go when you are. Then you'll have access to Encapsula's global network of 30 data centers with 3 terabits of bandwidth. This network stops attack traffic, making sure that denial service attacks never hit your servers. Meanwhile, they cache your content and optimize connections using their powerful CDN so your users get your content lightning fast. And you can see it all working on Encapsula's dashboard where you get live traffic view of your website with the ability to also create custom rules to meet your exact security needs. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you'll find out more about Encapsula's service and also claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Ask Upgrade, Brent asked, if you could use an Apple Pencil on the iPhone, would you want to? Be honest, have you ever tried? So I have tried. Um, I tried uh, when the Apple Pencil was released, right? Like, does this work? Outside of that, I've never tried, right? Like, I know it doesn't work, but I wanted to see (laughs) if it would work, right? I didn't know. We didn't know enough about it. I wondered if it would, and it didn't. Um, I would use it maybe in certain circumstances like i feel like there would have to be more added to the uh, software on the iphone to make it really worthwhile something that i always kind of liked and do like on the the samsung phones is that you know you can just pop out the stylus and just write on the blank screen and it starts writing you just start taking notes on it i always thought that was kind of mm-hmm. cool i'd like to see something like that you know um, there are a lot of little features that the the Note series that have that that I wish that Apple would find a way to implement. Like you can like just select areas of the screen and create screenshots, or like make gifts out of areas of the screen by using the the styluses. So yeah, stuff like that I would like for the Apple Pencil. Um, and maybe it would be useful on the Plus, right? You got big screen, you could you could do some stuff. But yeah, I think I could find some use for it. I'm sure Jason has no use for it. Not really. But I could find use for it because I love the Apple Pencil and I love my iPhone. Reed asked, do you ever use the 3D Touch app switching gesture? So this is where you kind of like squeeze on the left-hand side of the screen. Um, yeah, and then slide it. Yeah. And slide it. I never do because it doesn't work very well with cases. I almost never do. I will occasionally remember that it's there and use it. But most of the time I'm I'm still doing the double tap. And I don't know how much of that is that I don't think of it and i don't know how much of that is that i use my ipad so much that i end up using the same gestures i use on my ipad on my iphone you use the double tap of the home button to for your ipad to multitasking yeah Hmm. even though i even though there's a even though there's a touch gesture i usually don't use it that's what i do if i'm not using a keyboard like if i'm not using to spotlight or command tab or something, which is what I'm usually doing because my iPad's usually connected to a keyboard. Uh, I do use the software like swipe up with four fingers thing or like swiping left and right with four fingers. I do that a lot. I will swipe left and right to go back between apps. If I'm multitasking, I will do that. But I, I won't do the like reveal the switcher mm-hmm. gesture. Usually I double tap and I, that's just, I think it's just habit. Also works on both devices, right? I mean, that's the other thing. It actually yeah. works on both devices as opposed to saying, well, on my iPad, I'll do this. But on mm-hmm. my 
phone, I'll do that. I, I just end up using the button. Yeah. Justin asks, why do you think it would be an improvement to have uh, an always on screen with the Apple Watch, which is something that we were talking about last week? I don't want other people seeing my messages. So I get where Justin's coming from from this, right? Like, what if the screen was always on and everything that came through lit up the screen? I can say from experience, having used a uh, Pebble and uh, LG watch for a while, I tried out the LG watch when that came out with the, the Android Wear on it. Um it sucks to have your messages just automatically displayed because people yeah. will read them, uh, which used to happen to me all the time because my LG G watch would light up and people would just read the message because it was in full yeah. color. Um, in my mind, this isn't the same UI. Like to see a message, you'd still have to raise your like raise it to 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 see it, right? You raise your wrist to like look at the message. You raise your wrist, or you'd or you'd tap mm-hmm. or pull down or something. But you you do something to switch it off of the. Um, the, the the watch face. Yeah, but the the always on watch face would be the time, and maybe there would be some new indicators, right? So like you'd get a, a tap, and you'd maybe look at it, and there would be something that would indicate that a notification you just got was a message or something. You know, like it, there would be some like new level of of UI on the watch face that would indicate this, so you can get a very brief idea of what has just happened. Um, that's something that I would maybe kind of like to see. But not not to display the entire message for everyone to see. Of course, that would be that would be upsetting. Richard asked, "Do either of us have Apple Care on our watches?" Uh, just wanted to know if it's something worth getting. I don't think I do. No, I don't. I didn't buy it for my for my Series Two. Do you? Uh no, I don't have Apple Care for any device I own. Okay, why is that? What is your what is your thinking there? Um, my failure rate has never. been been enough to justify paying Apple Care for my devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of money I've saved by not paying for Apple Care has more than covered the few times I've needed to replace or repair a device. I have moved to this thinking over time. Like I used to buy Apple Care for my devices, but I've never had a problem in which I've needed to take something in to have it fixed under an Apple Care warranty. Plus, because there is the the you know there is an, an excess on those, uh, I've just stopped getting it, and I'm fine. But if you are a a person who breaks stuff a lot, Richard, then yes, get it. If you <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's exactly it. If you break stuff, then get it. If you don't break stuff, then don't get it, and just hope that you'll win out over time. And Brent asked. Uh, Ask me as an activist for the multi-pad lifestyle. How often do you use both of your iPad Pros at the same time? Not very often, honestly. I, I, I don't. I mean, I have done that. Like if, you know, there, there have been times where I've needed to have lots of information, you know, like I'm, I'm using two applications and I also need to look at a PDF or something for, for whatever reason it might be for some planning. I have used both iPads. Um, there are times where I might you know, crack out my iPhone to use a calculator when I've got two applications open and, and need them to see them both. Um, but it's, it is infrequent that I will use more than one iPad at a time, mostly because split view has really helped a lot. You know, that, you know, I, I don't, I have kind of multiple screens in my mind, have to, two apps running side by side. There are times when I'll do it, but it, it is, it is infrequent that I would need to have more than one iPad uh, at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's more about like what's the context mm-hmm. of what you're doing, I would think. Like exactly. this is a this looks like a job for big iPad, that sort of thing. Yeah, which is how it tends to be for me. 
All right, so that wraps it up for Ask Upgrade this week. It is worth just reminding you that there will be a mic at the movies next week, and we are going to be watching The Terminator. I'll be back. We will be back, and we'll be talking about The Terminator. Uh, This is the first time that I have (laughs) realized that the movie is called The Terminator. I just thought it was called Terminator. No, that's Terminator 2. The Mm. Terminator. The Terminator. The original from 1984. I've also just realized uh, how peculiar that word sounds when I say it compared to when you say it. Yeah. Terminator. I say every every syllable, every every sound, every consonant is is said in with quite sharp tones from Terminator. If you want to find our show notes for this week, head to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 128. Go to sixcolors.com for Jason's awesome writing. Go to theincomparable.com for his many podcasts on pop culture items. And he also hosts a bunch of shows over at Relay FM as well. Um, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Jason is J-S-N-E-L-L. He's Jason L. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, the fine folk over at Encapsula, the great people over at Blue Apron, and the quite lovely fresh books. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. We'll be back next time. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> oh, I wonder if that's going to get old. <laughs>